and welcome to the Ruby Source podcast. Today I'm joined by Noah Gibbs, who is Senior Staff Software Engineer at uh, Shopify. Noah, thanks so much for joining me today. Thrilled to be here. Good, good. So as as um, as always, we're going to start by talking a bit more about your, um, you know, when you started um, programming, working with Ruby, Rails, you know, Talk us through the when you right at the beginning. Sure. Uh, so I'm an old guy. When I started programming, it wasn't in Ruby uh, originally. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like to say I got started programming by being bored. Uh, I grew up in the middle of nowhere in East Texas. You know, technically there's a there's a gigantic prison in my hometown, but it, it's mm-hmm. less thrilling for a small child than you might think. Um, no, I uh, I got an <laughs> Apple II eventually. Um, it took right. took a while to wheedle my parents into it, and mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't a real common thing. There weren't a ton of them around, uh, but you know, Apple II shipped with AppleSoft Basic, and so I I did my best to learn AppleSoft Basic. There was nobody around me really that wrote programs. I mean, technically, my my, my aunt wrote a few, uh, but she didn't really know what she was doing either, and didn't spend a lot of time of, uh, on it. She's one of those weird old rich people that like uh, makes quilts that you can look at with a with a little three D glass and things like oh, that, yeah. and yeah. has yeah. has old old you know ran, random stuff very random stuff sure, sure. um and so she had a she had an apple 2c in the same way that like she made weird 3d quilts uh, <laughs> um yeah and so I, I didn't necessarily know a lot because there was nobody near me that knew much of anything uh but you know i put a lot of time into it and i i uh, i learned a lot of the things i thought you were supposed to learn at the time uh and i uh, eventually went off to to university and uh you know, carnegie mellon uh got a got a degree in that um yeah, so I've I've been doing computer stuff for a long time, and I've just kind of wandered through different companies doing different things. I've worked in mobile, and I've worked in uh, GPGPU, and I've worked on big servers, and obviously I've done web programming for a little while here. And uh, yeah, uh, a lot of embedded, a lot of random stuff. Uh, as far as how I got into it, uh, Ruby took me a while. Like I was I was working outside of Ruby for a very long time first. I, I uh, tend to say I was classically educated as a software engineer. And what I mean by that is uh, I, I was one of those people that, that wouldn't uh, give you the time of day about, you know, things like the web and databases and other mm-hmm. other, other sort of populist stuff. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I work on real programming. Not anymore. Yeah. You, but, you know, you, you used to be like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, which is, you know frustrating and kind of alienating and weird and you work on giant teams and i've got to say in retrospect it wasn't that good but at the time i was very convinced it was the way to go sure sure <laughs> and then ruby so when did ruby come come into your life sure so uh at some point i realized that i was really frustrated by joining a company working on a giant team on the same project for years and in effect it never shipped one way or another i mean we often you know shipped the thing we marked it complete uh, but often it would require selling it to another giant company and being integrated into another product. You know, if you if you make a, a, a chip for a cable TV set-top box, you're relying on another company to go make you make a cable TV set-top box. If you make sure. a mobile operating system, you're relying on somebody else to ship a phone that uses it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I had a number of products I worked on that I thought were pretty good products that just never shipped, never saw the light of day. No actual human could go buy one ever at any point. And I got, I got tired of that. Um, and, uh, I thought, well, what if I go out and I, I ship people a thing now, because again, I had this, uh, the, this sort of traditionalist software engineer orientation, 
and I sort of spec'd out what that would look like. What if I could could ship something that people could actually use on different computers and made a bunch of installers. I, I don't know if you, I mean, app installers are terrible. They're they're still they're still really awful. Uh, but they weren't any better. You know, this would have been in like I don't know 2007 or something. They weren't any better yeah. then. Um, and uh, you know, I I thought about well, what I what I wanted to do for a for a cross platform you know, presentation layer, something where I could write it. And I looked at the existing cross-platform window managers and they weren't great. They're still not great, but they weren't great then. Um, and uh, I realized when I'd sat down and put together what I actually wanted to do, that I'd specced out a web browser. Now I'd seen just enough PHP to be convinced that web programming was hideous and barbaric. Uh, and so, um, you know, I sort of sighed deeply because every every few years I'd go look at web programming and go, yes, this is awful. I'm not touching this. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> in my own way, I was trying to be broad minded. And so I'd at least go look every few years. Um, and in 2007, I happened to uh, be looking at the same time that the Ruby on Rails 15 minute blog tutorial was a thing. Okay. And that was interesting. Like I, I sat down and I looked at that and uh, so I was used to, to traditional software engineering languages, traditional programming languages. And, and uh, you know, I looked at that and it really just said what it did. There was only as much there as you needed to specify sure. what it what it was doing, sure. uh, which was just kind of a revelation. Like other uh, the languages I'd used didn't look like that. Like sure. I'm not the only one that got smacked in the face with that, with the Ruby blog, you know, the, the Rails blog tutorial. But like, I wasn't used to languages that looked like that. And I looked at that and first I had the sort of, whoa, well, that's that's a weird little curiosity. I'm sure it's too slow to be useful in practice, but but huh, that's neat. Somebody's, somebody's out there trying that. And I stopped True. and I realized yeah. that that was a web language that wasn't horrible. Yeah. And I, I sighed deeply and I sort of slumped where I was and I looked up at it and I thought, this means that I'm going to need to teach myself databases and JavaScript and CSS. Okay. <laughs> and so for the next two years of spare time, yeah, you know, I'd come home and I'd sit on my couch and uh, I'd work on learning the stuff for Ruby on Rails. I taught myself SQL and I taught myself JavaScript and I taught myself CSS. Not terribly well at the time because I was starting almost completely flat-footed. Like sure, I hadn't sure. really even learned HTML at that point. But for about two years, I did that. <clears throat> Now, after you you do that for a little while, uh, and I subscribed to, to Ruby Weekly, which came out with just a, a fearsome fire hose of stuff. It took me a long time to get to the point where I understood everything in a given uh, a, a given week of Ruby Weekly. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I, at some point I stumbled across the idea of meetups. Now, I was a C programmer before that. Like, meetups, the idea that you get together with other programmers and, and sit and talk about it, that seems a little weird. Why would programmers do that? I mean, mm. you've got a team at work, but why would programmers do that? They so, had conferences, and that was really too weird for me, coming from, from C. Um, but after I'd, I'd spent a while trying to, to, to just inhale, again, CSS and SQL and all of these new skills, uh, I got to the point where I was terrified to meet other Rubyists, because looking at the sheer volume of stuff that I was trying to do. And Rubyists clearly were people that understood all of these things. Yes. Like yes. this was this was taking me a lot of time. And I considered myself pretty clever. Um, and so I was just terrified to go out and meet Ruby people. Uh, I finally did around about the same time I started looking for my first Ruby job. And of course, you know, th those of you who've been to Ruby meetups, which is I'm, I'm sure an awful lot of your audience know, know, know what the punchline looks like. You know, it turns out that they are not superhumans that have, have learned all of these things. No. At a Absolutely. reasonable level, it turns yeah. out you know they're they're people, they're programmers, yeah. and while they do know a reasonable variety of stuff, they're also they're, they're friendly. Um, 
but yeah, and so having done that and studying just as fast as I possibly could, because again, I was in deeply intimidated by all of this, uh, I managed to be the Ruby expert starting from my very first Ruby job, uh, which took me a while to get, because you know when you've when you've been doing uh, systems programming for 10, 10 plus years plus before that, uh, the sales pitch kind of goes, "Hi, I've been doing this a while. I'm expensive." Uh, I've not never worked on anything you work on. Uh, and so I have no professional experience doing anything you care about. Hire me. Yes. Uh, as, as a sales pitch, it's about as effective as it sounds like. But yeah. so it, it, took, yeah. it took a while. True. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I did find a, a shop full of uh, Java people trying to add a layer of JRuby on Rails on top of their Java server. And that was... <clears> uh, that was a good enough match that they were they were willing to say yes and i was willing to give it a try and i uh, i switched from being uh, architect on a co-architect co on a mobile operating system you know to uh, to, to going off and doing this other thing instead um which I, I sort of feel bad about because I, I i won't say i left them in the lurch like things were basically at the place where they needed to be but uh but it turned out it was another of those things that never shipped you know, like like so many of those things. You know, we we got this thing, and it it uh, Engadget wrote nice articles about it. We had great screenshots, but it required my company to successfully sell it to a you know to to a, a company that was going to ship a phone to, to to you know convince a phone carrier to use it, and that just never happened. So it's just as well I didn't stick around and wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was that was a lot of how I got into Ruby on Rails was uh, was okay. about two years of study on my couch. Fine, fine. <laughs> And so what's happening at the moment? What's um, some interesting interesting stuff that you're working on right now at uh, Shopify? Sure. Uh, well, so at Shopify, I work on Wyjet. Uh, so, some, some of your listeners will have heard about Wyjet, which is mm -hmm. it, not the first JIT to ship in Ruby on Rails, but it's the, the most recently replaced one and the, the preferred one, the recommended one. Uh, MJIT, which was its predecessor, has actually been taken out in favor of RJIT. Uh, the same guy works on, like he's he's on the Wyjet team, and he he works on both of those. Uh, Takashi Kokobun, and I I don't know when the man sleeps. Like he's he's ludicrously productive. Um, but yes, he's replaced uh, he's replaced the the old uh, Jit for Ruby on Rails. He was sort of relieved to do it because he was having trouble getting it to be fast enough. And now at this point, it's it's down to like kind of deprecated or experimental status. And he can basically go, great, like now Wyjet, which I get paid to work on, and we've got a team working on it, can be the real one, and I can I can have fun doing experimental research sort of stuff. Uh, and it's frankly working out a lot better. Um, I mean, for for him and everybody, like yeah, Imjit was uh, Imjit was. A large improvement over not having a JIT, but it was it was never going to do what we're currently doing with YJIT, and so I think he was thrilled to uh, to, to stop having to uh, to maintain this thing that was never going to going to get to where he wanted it to be. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, but YJIT YJIT's a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know. We rewrote it in Rust a while back. Uh, in this case, not from Ruby to Rust, but from C to Rust. Uh, okay. Because you know the the C Ruby is written in C, uh, and so the initial we wrote the JIT in C, and so whatever language we use has to, you know, has to uh, work with that. So it runs Ruby, but I don't know. Language stuff is always a little funny because uh, yeah, it's what it's written in, and then there's the, there's the fact that it is Ruby. Um, but yeah, so so YJIT's a lot of what I've been doing uh, recently okay. at work and for Shopify. Um, I, I do a tremendous amount of benchmarking. So uh, if anybody hasn't heard of me, that's probably a number of you, speed.wyjit.org. You know, I put that one together. And so if you want to see a lot of graphs about exactly how fast multiple uh, multiple rubies are, uh, which again is a lot of what I do, uh, speed.wyjit.org is a fun way to go. Look at, look at all the latest graphs and see how fast we are on different benchmarks. 
Um, and if you're the sort of person who does benchmarking, feel free to submit one. You know, we, we'd love <laughs> to run your benchmark along with Absolutely. the rest of them and have have extensive graphs for them. Sure, sure. And then, so tell me more about Scarpe because Scarpe seems okay like a so, very interesting project. And tell sure. tell um, tell the listeners or the viewers, should I say, more about oh, sure. the name and where that's come from and that sort of thing. Because I think this is all quite interesting, actually. Sure. Uh, yeah, Scarpe is not uh, is not what Shopify pays me to do, but it is a, it is a thing I'm I'm doing a bunch of. So uh, some of you will remember why the lucky stiff. He had a he had a legal name like the rest of us, but that was the name he went by, and he he preferred his pseudonym for all purposes. He didn't tell people about the rest of it. Um, but he uh, did a lot of cool stuff for Ruby. He wrote a he wrote a wise poignant guide to Ruby, which back before weird programming language books were much of a thing, like it was the one, and it it brought a lot of programming people to uh, to, to Ruby. It was fun. It's still fun. It's still good if you get a chance to uh, to read it. Um, but he wrote hpricot, which was the XML parser that preceded Nokogiri. A lot of his stuff, you know, his, he had these fun interface ideas and people used it. Camping, which was one of the first ever micro frameworks for, for, uh, for web stuff. Like he wrote that. It's still out there. It's still out there. Uh, he wrote a thing called Hackity Hack, which was a little self-contained programming environment so that you could get everything installed to do like music and video and stuff and do, do fun stuff. Um, shoes. Shoes was the name of his UI library. So if you want to write little UI apps that just run locally, like not web apps, but but just local apps in Ruby, there's no reason you can't do it. And Shoes was a was a little library to do that. Uh, but Shoes was written extending Ruby fairly directly. It was written like like C extensions to Ruby, which means that it's aged very poorly. It was written for much older Ruby things. So why disappeared a while back? Basically, somebody figured out who he was, doxed him, and he he evaporated off the, the the web he took down his mm -hmm. github mm -hmm. repositories he took down his websites like he he went away yeah. um but a lot of his stuff is still remembered <clears> and some <throat> of his software has been has been rewritten or repurposed again camping is still around um, but shoes is hard to use because shoes was written in this way that it needed a lot of maintenance and then he went away uh and so there have been a few attempts to rewrite shoes over the years ours included uh what we did was we started from WebView, um which is is roughly what it sounds like. It's kind of like Electron. It's a way of building little web apps. Uh, and so uh, Marco Rudeloso, who works works with me and Nick Schwaderer at Shopify, had put together a, a fun web view wrapper uh, and did some some great prototyping work. And so Marco and then Nick and then me, um, we put together essentially the start of a, of a shoes clone built in WebView. And so because Marco is you know an Italian guy with an Italian name, we we use the name Scarpe, which is yeah. Italian for shoes. Um, for for our our little uh, our little wrapper, uh, and so Scarpe has been fun. Like we started with WebView, but we kept it uh, flexible on backend, and so we've got like a LibUI backend, and we, we're 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 trying to figure out sort of what the long term will be. And in the meantime, we have a we have a modular layer that lets us do it as a WebView app or do it as a LibUI app, and um, you know d d different things. Um, so in addition to uh, so it started as a as a hack week project like Shopify right, does okay. periodic hack mm -hmm, week projects mm -hmm. and so Marco had already built this stuff and we went you know let's build shoes and so we had we had about a week with me and Nick and a few other people having time and so we we put together you know this but we've we've kept at it there's a Discord server there's a GitHub org um, and so we're still you know we're still doing it and in fact we got a couple of Google Summer of Code interns uh, who are who are helping us out so we're we're seeing fun stuff. Um, a fellow named Giovanni is building a WASM display library. So we think we're going to have a, like a WebAssembly uh, display library for it soon. Cross your fingers, but that'd be great. That'd be fun. Nice. Um, 
and uh, Pawan is doing a wide variety of stuff, basically implementing new features, a lot of stuff that we haven't necessarily gotten to. You know, Shoes is a fairly big API, and so he's completing all the the, the little stuff that we didn't necessarily get sure. to, you know, in the in the hack week and the time afterwards. Um, yeah, we're doing all kinds of stuff right now. I'm trying to uh, to uh, stabilize it as much as anything. WebView, it turns out, is not all the way baked, <laughs> and so we're uh, you know there's 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 a lot of just kind of figuring out how to test it and figuring out how to how to make it uh, run a little more reliably and things like that. Uh, and testing a GUI library is always fun. You know, that's it's always uh, difficult to get reliable tests that run locally and run on the on the CI server, et cetera. Anyway, doing a bunch of that. Um, mm -hmm. But the cool thing about Scarpe, the cool thing about really any kind of uh, any kind of UI library, is um, <clears throat> you can see a lot more of what you're doing really immediately and directly. You know, so much of programming is sit around and think about a thing and then write some code, and you don't get to see directly what you're doing. I mean, maybe you write tests and it, it you know tells you if it succeeds or fails, but it's so much kind of imagination in your head. Yeah. Uh, and the nice thing about a, a UI library is you can tell it to pop open a window. You can click a button. You can do at least a little bit of interacting with it like a thing that exists. Uh, and that's that, you know, it's a lot more satisfying when you can do it. That's that tight interaction loop that we talk about. You know, it's cool to have tests, but it's much better to to feel like you're you're messing with it and touching it. I think it's one reason that so many people get into programming from game programming. Sure. Because like nice thing about a game, you can see it, you can do something with it. Yeah. The, the whole the whole point of it is you can poke at it. Like otherwise it's not a game. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, 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 please go on. Please go on. Oh, I was going to say, um, Scarpe has been good because I spent a while reading. Um, okay, so there's a guy named Seymour Papert. He was one of Piaget's students. Uh, I, I don't know if you know Piaget, but I, in case your in case your viewers don't, uh, Piaget is a famous child development researcher. And so when you talk about object permanence, where the kid sees a ball, ball rolls behind the chair, at some point the kid gets old enough to figure out that the ball didn't disappear. It's behind the it's, chair. It's behind the object chair. Object permanence. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Um, similarly, the, you know, you pour you pour water from one container into a different shaped container, and at some point the kid's old enough to figure out that oh, that's the same amount of liquid because you poured it out of the same container. Um, Piaget studied a lot of these things, but he was recent. Like he was recent enough that some of his students are still alive. Mm -hmm. uh, and so Seymour Papert was one of his students, but was also the guy who wrote Logo. Like, you know, the Logo programming language with the little turtle and you tell it to turn a good book. So Logo wasn't designed for computers exactly, originally. Logo was designed to have a bunch of oh. kids writing lists of instructions. And one kid reads the instruction list and the other kid acts it out as the turtle. Sure. Right. Logo okay. was designed to teach debugging as a skill that didn't necessarily have anything to do with computers, mm. with kid, kids and, and instructions written on paper. Like, it works well on computers. He did intend it to be used on computers, but he also intended it to be used without the computers, because, you know, especially when he was doing it, there you, you couldn't get that many computers. Um, and so something where you can do it with kids and paper works out really well. Um, but no, it turns out Papert was one of Piaget's students, and... Uh, and designed Logo very much with this in mind and wrote a whole series of books that are sort of about computers, but are mostly about educating kids. Um, and so, yeah, a nice thing about Scarpe that this is letting me kind of kind of, kind of get to and be able to do is to, to think more about uh, how to write programming stuff that is not entirely repellent to people who are new to this. Like so many of our tools are so bad. They're, they're bad for teaching, they're bad for learning, they're bad for figuring this stuff out. Um, I'm not gonna, you know, cite, cite a whole bunch of other people because I, I can't imagine that too many people sit here to, oh, could you give me a long list of people that, you know, I haven't read to tell me, you know, this much about the, like, I, I know that gets old fast. Um, 
but uh, you know, it's a good chance to think about how badly we teach this stuff and how we can maybe do a little better in the same way that shoes actually shoes is a really simple, really satisfying little, little language for building these UI apps. Um, and so it's a good start, you know, like I'm not necessarily the best person at UX design. I'm not necessarily the per best person at making something friendly, but I'm not so bad that I can't take something friendly and make something better by, by just letting him make the decisions, you know, like, why put together a good language here? And that's part of why I like using shoes for it. It's shoes is good. And even if I couldn't make something that friendly, I can still sure. uh, steal his thing. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. sure. Good. Okay. And um, Shopify. So what's what's happening at the moment? I know you mentioned the project that you're working on. How is oh, sure. everything going? Yeah. Uh, well, probably the uh, loudest thing that's happened at Shopify lately was that twenty percent layoff that happened mm -hmm. uh, a fairly short time yeah. ago. Uh, yeah. That's yeah, that that was big news. Um, yeah, uh, man, I don't remember how much we we talked externally about why it happened. Uh, the the short version was things aren't unstable there. Like they announced better than expected earnings. They were selling off Shopify logistics, but it turns out that wasn't so much because there was anything wrong with the logistics group. You know, Flexport bought it and they did some money for it. Sure. Um, no, they just, Shopify decided it wasn't interested in being in the logistics business, the, which yeah. uh, makes a lot of sense once you know a lot enough. about the logistics business. I mean, you yeah. spend all of your time sort of doing micro-optimization of these of these supply chains. And I can I can see why we didn't want to be in the logistics business. I, I wouldn't. Um, but uh, but part of it was just uh, their kind of natural sizes for a company. Um, you know, you get to about ten thousand, and that's you know that that's a decent sized company. There are some other smaller sizes of companies that also work really well, but when you get above that natural size, it's pretty much if you've thought about it, then you're you're doing it to kind of sprint to the next bigger natural size. Sure. And uh, I don't know exactly where the stopping points are, but the next big obvious natural size mm. after ten thousand is a hundred thousand, and that would be awfully big for what Shopify is. Like yeah, Shopify's not really looking at being ten x its current size. And so uh, my understanding is Shopify kind of decided here's a natural size and we're past it, especially like if we if we kept doing logistics, then 100,000 would be a natural size. But also, you know, Shopify would have to be primarily a logistics company by headcount. Sure. Um, and so they sure. decided they weren't doing that. And that changed how big the whole company could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Um, okay. And then we wanted to finally finish off and talk a bit more about your book so i think sure. many of many of the viewers hopefully will like you said know who you are and know know what your book is but tell us a bit more um about re rebuilding revs sure um so yeah uh if there's if there's one thing i've done that more people know me for than anything else it's going to be rebuilding rails uh yeah. so the basic idea in case you're you're not in case you're one of today's lucky ten thousand, um is that um you understand Rails by building something structured like Rails. Rails only looks like magic uh, because you haven't necessarily seen that kind of metaprogramming in Ruby. Meta, uh, Ruby lets you do some operations collectively referred to as metaprogramming that most languages don't let you do. Mm -hmm. uh, and Rails looks the way it does because it uses these slightly uncommon features. Um, so what you can do is learn the feature, build a system with the feature structured like Rails, and now you know what Rails does, because there's only so many ways to build a particular thing. You know, uh, In yeah. Ruby, you've got to require your, dependence, your dependencies explicitly. Not in Rails. Rails just does it automatically. How? Uh, the answer is something called const missing. And uh, you know, if you search for that, you can find a bunch of blog posts. I wrote one of them. Um, but the short mm -hmm. version is that these weird things in Rails that look like magic 
are you take this weird feature that Ruby has that most languages don't, you figure out what can be done with it, and you're going to suddenly see why Rails does what it does. Because most of what Rails is, is it's a very skillful, considered usage of this Ruby feature that most people haven't seen. So uh, if you get to about mid-career and you say, Rails seems too much like magic with me, I, you know, too, too much like magic for me, I don't like it. One of your options is to go learn a lot more about Rails so it doesn't seem like magic. And in that case, rebuilding Rails is for you. Uh, I came from a very C and traditional background and I tried to, you know, get wrap my head around Rails. And part of how I did this was to go down and explore and explore and explore because I don't like bits of the system I can't understand. Sure. Uh, and so I went and learned all those metaprogramming features and how Rails used them. And so the book is pretty much... My distrust for Ruby, which turned into an understanding of Ruby, distilled into into book form. Um, and if anybody else, if anybody's curious about the same thing, I actually do uh, roughly the same trick in rebuilding HTTP, which is just a different part of the web stack, but same deal. If you wonder what what is this magic thing that app servers like WebRick and Puma, et cetera, do, um, the short answer is they're socket servers that speak HTTP. But in case that doesn't necessarily mean much to you, you can build it from nothing, and then you will know exactly what it means. Yeah. Okay. Good. So, so finally, uh, wanted to finish off. Um, what's what's the future hold for for you, for Noah, in terms of work and what you what you up to? Any any more books on the horizon? You know that sort of thing. Uh, well, so I've written Rebuilding HTTP, but there's a whole marketing phase to a book that takes a long time and a lot of work, and I frankly sure. haven't done nearly enough of it. And so some of it's going to be that. Um, I don't know what the next book will be after that. Uh, mm -hmm. There there may well be one. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, I keep trying to find a way to, to tie into this teaching stuff because okay. while Rebuilding Rails is, it's unusually <clears throat> good for a book. I mean, for, mm -hmm. a, for a tech book, it's very much, you want to build a thing. Here's what you want to build. Here's the code. Do it. Now, here's how you debug it. Here's what's likely to go wrong. That's yeah. cool and all, but it's not very approachable. Like if you're already a mid-career engineer, it's better than almost anything else out there. There are not very many good books for them. And frankly, I think Rebuilding Rails does a really good job of doing that. But that doesn't mean I couldn't do better. You know, I, I wrote that 10 years ago now. Um, if I can't do better, I've been doing something wrong, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, but I'm looking for other other ways to kind of bring that teaching down to a uh, a level that's more approachable for more people. Okay. One way or another. And what's... What's the best way for people to reach out to you? So if you've got more junior developers that are, you know, um, that have got questions for you or want some advice, you know, how yeah. how is the best way for them to reach out to you? All right. Uh, so you can find me on Mastodon without too much trouble. I've got a Twitter mm -hmm. account, but if, if the Twitter account looks, you know, kind of kind of moribund, that's because it is. I don't I don't do much there anymore. Um, but uh, so I am Codefolio at Ruby Social. I also have the domain Codefol.io. So Codefolio with a dot before the IO. That's me too. Um, if you Google Noah Gibbs, I'm easy to find. I, I sell books online. I'm not hard to Google for. Um, for sure. Yeah. But, uh, you know, terrible secret that uh, that we, we all tell all the time and nobody knows it anyway. Uh, those of us who who are very online and write books, et cetera, um, we actually respond to email constantly because it turns out that I, I may be famous as Ruby authors go. Uh, it's not a long list of people, um, but it turns out that's not real famous in the world at large. I, got, I, I am thrilled to see your email and I basically always answer. And most of the other Ruby authors are the same way. There's a it, only David Heinemeyer Hansen is an actual race car driver and like real world famous. <laughs> yeah, the rest, yeah. the rest of us are happy to talk to Ruby people all the time. Sure, sure, yeah, sure, <laughs> absolutely. Noah, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been a pleasure chatting with you.
Uh, likewise, it's been been great being here. Been great. Thank been great you. To have you Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you.